As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 1. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. 2. Deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. 3. You will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. New week on the Just Baseball Show coming to you late morning on Monday, January 8th or in the afternoon, evening if you're across the pond. I'm looking at you, Peter Pratt of Marlins fame. Uh, Jack, Aram, Just Baseball Show. We got a, a, a good bit to talk about. Robbie Ray goes to San Francisco from Seattle for Mitch Hanniger and Anthony DiSclefani, which was an interesting trade. And I know our guy Clay Snowden called it an MLB The Show trade, and it kind of is. It's big leaguer for two other big leaguers. Uh, Jose Caballero for Luke Rayleigh was a straight flip between Tampa and Seattle. Sean Manaya got way more money than I was expecting him to get. And then we played general manager for uh, the Brewers and the Astros. But before all that, Teoscar Hernandez just made the best team in baseball on paper even better. Maybe they were the second best team in baseball behind Atlanta on paper, but now it it feels like they are the best team in baseball. That was a late night thing on Sunday night. What was your like immediate reaction to that? So it's funny. I, I generally, I've talked about how I think the, Oh, this player X or Y player goes to Rays or Dodgers. Now they become great. Right. Like I always think that's a super lazy um, narrative. I I do understand Mm -hmm. that they do help get the most out of a lot of different players, but sometimes like it's, they're not just going to turn something around. That's just not there. Right. And we, we know a Cinder a perfect example of that. Like if it's not right. there, it's not there. What right. they do is they identify the guys that they can maximize, you know, the abilities out of, it's not like they they're pulling players out of, uh, you know, out of indie ball left and right. But, but the reason why I mentioned that is Teoscar Hernandez is the perfect candidate. <laughs> to be able to be maximized or to get back to where he was. Like, I think the Dodgers are really good at helping players find where they once were, right? Like, it's not about, like, turning a player that's been a quadruple-A guy's whole career into an all-star. It's about you were really good. Sometimes you get far away from where you once were, and it's hard to get back there. A lot of times players don't even know what they were doing when it was going right because it came so natural to them. And then when you get away from it, you don't know how to get back to there because you just naturally were there. So Teoscar seems like that exact candidate. He hits the crap out of the ball. Uh, he's always been like that underlying data darling, you know, offensively. But the approach can be frustrating. Um, there's certain aspects of, of, you know, sometimes he just does not seem to, to tap into the power consistently in games. Like there's all these different little things that I feel like he's in the perfect spot to where it can start looking like we thought it was going to look uh, a couple years ago. And you know, we know how talented he is with the stick. So my immediate reaction was very similar. It was, this guy's even more of a Jason Hayward candidate than Jason Hayward was. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, he was yeah. way better than Hayward was recently. Hayward was really good before he went to Chicago, and then Chicago, the whole thing was not great. That was, what, a six-year stretch? That was 2016 through 2022, and then 2023, he bounces back. With Teoscar Hernandez, we're talking about a guy that was really good in 2022 or in 2021. And then 22, it was all right. And then 2023, it was. Mm. And then now 2024, you're looking for that full bounce back. Um, I found this fascinating, man. And, and you know, at the bare minimum, you're getting a guy that can kill left-handed pitching. Mm-hmm. They're going to get way more than that from him, it seems. Oh, absolutely. But they also really needed somebody that can kill left-handed pitching. Um, you know, I think that was, you look through the lineup, it starts to get a little bit left-handed heavy, especially now with Otani in the fold. And of course, those are, those are guys that you don't care if it's lefty versus righty, but you look down, you know, top to bottom and Outman and, you know, Hayward is obviously only going to really face uh, righties. So yeah. to have a guy that absolutely, and if you can get back to where he was even in 2022, against lefties or 2021 against lefties the numbers are absolutely insane i think if you look back at 21 that's where it was absolutely crazy in 2021 against left-handed pitching he hit 372 407 744 (laughs) like if if he's doing that against left-handed pitching the dodgers are going to be unstoppable the last two years he's been more of like in the 800s range against southpaws but still has always been better against southpaws so maybe you know, being sheltered from righties a little bit more uh, could help him, but it just seems like sliders have chewed him up. And if you look at 2023, I mean, he, he saw more sliders than pretty much any other pitch. And, and that was his, that was his trouble, like the trouble. That was the challenge. Um, if, if he can somehow figure out a way how to recognize sliders and, and, and not chase at a 40% clip against those types of pitches, that, that'll definitely help. But regardless, naturally facing more lefties, it's going to help you from the, the right on right slider issue. So, um, I, I, I'm, I'm very interested to see if it's one of those things where he gets more out of his own abilities by, you know, making some adjustments or if the Dodgers just get more out of him in a vacuum, similar to Hayward, where they're just putting him in positions to succeed more often and, and kind of sheltering him from the really bad matchups. And all of a sudden, you know, the numbers are really, really good. Yeah. Um, can we play the pound for pound game quick between the Dodgers and the Braves? I'm going to walk through the position. We're going to decide who has the advantage. I just, I see it. I like see the tail of the tape thing and I'm just trying to decide who the best team in baseball is. I don't think there's a team in the American league that stacks up on paper to those two. No game isn't played on paper. The Rangers won the world series, yada, yada, yada. We don't need to hear it, but we're going to play the on paper game because it's January 8th and we've got a season to look forward to. So we're going to go position by position. I'm going to ask you who has the better grouping catcher, with the Dodgers, it's Will Smith and Austin Barnes. With Atlanta, it's Sean Murphy and Travis Darno. Who's got the better grouping? That's pretty damn close, man. I mean, like if you want to like group the backup, obviously helping, but at the same time, it's you're predominantly playing the starter. So Will Smith is the best catcher of that group, but technically, Darno is is a good amount better than Austin Barnes. I mean, Barnes is pretty brutal, so that makes it a little bit different. But I think you got to go with 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 just Will Smith in a vacuum. Okay, Freddie Freeman or Matt Olson? Freeman. Yep. Uh, Mookie Betts or Ozzy Albies? I already put LAD down. Uh, yeah. I'm, third base, you got Austin Riley against Max Muncy. Riley. Yep. So give me Atlanta. Shortstop, it's Orlando Arcia against Gavin Lux as it stands right now. <laughs> I mean, isn't it crazy? We're talking about two of the best teams in baseball, and they both, like, their biggest weakness might be shortstop. Yeah. <laughs> it's so wild. You think that would never be the case? Um, look, I'd say Arcia because mm-hmm. I know what I'm getting at least. I would too. Uh, I mean, I, I think Lux can be better. Yeah, Let's, we had questions before he tore his ACL. You know, just like what it was going to look like. I was excited, but yeah, we'll see. And and at the end of the day, like I know fan vote all that, but Arcia was. I think deserving of that All Star starting shortstop nod. I, I think Dansby Swanson like had an argument and he had the star power, but Arcia was comparable and he was just on the better team. So it wasn't entirely a fan vote thing. Like Alcides Escobar was good. I don't think he was deserving when he started that year when Kansas city just voted the world in. Oh Um, yeah. But like we were talking about Arcia, Geraldo Perdomo and Dansby Swanson and Arcia was deserving. So yeah, I side with Atlanta, the outfield, 
with the Dodgers, the starting outfield projected right now is Teoscar Hernandez, James Altman, Jason Hayward. Uh, Atlanta gets the edge surely because the projected starting outfield is Acuna, Michael Harris, and Jared Kelnick. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think you're selling me the Dodgers outfield slightly short by not mentioning the, the bench, uh, but I know the bench is going to be like the next phase here. So yeah, uh, I'm not saying you individually are selling them short. I'm like, if you're, if you're talking about the Dodgers outfield, I do think it's important to mention Margot and Chris Taylor, just because of the way that they're going to mix and match here. Taylor sure. also hits lefties pretty well. Margot being a good defender. Um, I'm very interested. Like this is going to be a really good opportunity also for Dave Roberts. And, and obviously, I think it's going to also come from the front office about obviously how they want to, you know, mix and match here, but a lot of creativity can be had now, um, which is cool. But of course, I mean, the talent wise, the Braves outfield is just on another level. Yeah. DH have already penciled in uh, Otani. So yeah, I'd the say Dodgers so. over Marcelo I'd Zuna. Say. I think that's fair. Yeah, uh, I'd say so. The bench for Atlanta is Darno, David Fletcher, Louis Guillaume, Forrest Wall, as it stands right now. And the Dodgers have Austin Barnes, Miguel Rojas, Miguel Vargas, Chris Taylor, Manny Margot, Michael Bush that they can turn to. I think the Dodgers run away with that thing. Yeah. Starting rotation. For the Dodgers, Yamamoto, Bueller, Glasnow, Bobby Miller, Emmett Sheehan with like Stone as the reserve. Atlanta, Strider, Freed, Morton, Chris Sale, Bryce Elder. Okay, so going into next year, give me the Braves rotation. I think so too. I love like and like I think Walker is going to be great, of course, and I think Glass now is going to be great, and I think Yamamoto is going to be unbelievable. But like we're talking about you know, Walker coming off of a long layoff. We're talking about Glass now, who you know, never throws <laughs> more than what he threw last year, and then Yamamoto. Like maybe there's a little bit of of acclimation period. I don't think there's going to be too much of it, but at the end of the day, he's you know. He's hasn't thrown yet here. And then Bobby Miller is a second year pitcher and Sheehan's pretty much a rookie. So um, I, I think the rotation could be phenomenal, but I feel a lot safer with Atlanta. I do too. Um, I wonder about sales availability, but sure. Freed and Strider up top, just knowing that you're going to get, and, and I know that Freed was dealing with, what was it? A finger thing for a while. Yeah, that's, It was a blister thing. Like it was a recurring blister. I'm not yeah, that's not something I think is going to spill over into this year. No, Strider, like, I know you're getting, you know, 180 innings of top flight pitch, and you're going to get 250 yeah. punch outs. And, and free, like, that one-two feels more comfortable than any one-two you're going to concoct for the Dodgers, whether it's Yamamoto and Walker or Yamamoto and, and Glass now. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Um, bullpen, where do you stack up here? Right now, the Braves is... Rysel Iglesias, A.J. Minter, Reynaldo Lopez, Joe Jimenez, Pierce Johnson, Tyler Matzik, Aaron Bummer. With the Dodgers, it's Evan Phillips, Gratterall, Caleb Ferguson, Joe Kelly, Vesia, Yancy Almonte, Blake Trinan. Um, it's kind of a wash for me. Like, I will let you sway me. I kind of – so here's the thing. I love Trinan, multiple shoulder procedures. You, you don't know what you're going to get from him. Phillips, you hope he can repeat what he did last year. Gratterall being – you know, what he was last year was absolutely huge. Yeah. But Ferguson, Kelly, I mean, Kelly's underlying data is really good, but Vesia, Almonte, like the, those guys were mostly disappointing last year. Uh, in terms of like, I think who I know and who's like kind of established as like, you know, having pretty consistently good years, I feel like it's the, the Braves bullpen. But at the same time, like, the Dodgers may be a little bit deeper. Like Bummer, you're hoping for a big bounce back. Stevens, you know, we haven't really seen much of him since they signed him from Indy Ball. Uh, Matic was out the whole year pretty much. Uh, I, mean, I, I think it's a wash. I, I honestly think it's a wash. Okay. So or if we call it a tie, we've got 10 categories. Uh, the Dodgers take five, Atlanta takes four, and there's a tie in the fifth, which is relief pitching. So that shows you that this is going to be Tyson and Holyfield when these two match up. Yeah, which I'm I'm excited for. I'm very excited for that. What was your immediate reaction to the Robbie Ray deal? Robbie Ray goes from Seattle <laughs> to San Francisco for Mitch Haniger, reunion in Seattle, and Anthony DiSclefani. It was a vet for two vets. And Seattle ends up saving some money. Robbie Ray is owed what 80 over the next four years or so. I'll get the contract in front of me in a moment, but San Francisco is getting a guy that 
we'll be back likely before the all-star break and you still have multiple years of control. He signed a nine-figure deal off of a Cy Young. But obviously, I've got my concerns. You have your concerns about Robbie Ray's ability to stay in the strike zone. And, you know, who knows what it looks like. Last time we saw Robbie Ray on the mound in, in a big moment, Jordan Alvarez hit a ball 480 feet against him down the right field line. And it was it was a well-placed slider that Jordan just beat him on. Um, they get their corner guy. I think we were looking for a better corner guy than Mitch Hanniger, but Hanniger has had success in Seattle. And you feel a lot better about relegating DiSclefani to the sixth spot in the rotation than you do a $20 million pitcher in Robbie Ray, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and you know, I think ultimately DiSclefani was coming over just to offset some of that money and, and, and it is what it is. But at the same time, we we're talking about the rotation and look, if something comes across the table and, and the Mariners you know, have an offer that where they can, you know, talk, turn a Wu or Miller into, you know, somebody that can really change the ball club, then, you know, maybe they can feel a little bit more comfortable about it, knowing that Descalfani is available from day one, whereas Robbie Ray, you know, you're waiting to see when he will be eventually available. I, I don't know if they're going to use Descalfani as that, you know, that plugging guy if they trade somebody. I think he really is rotation depth because they kind of traded away some of that rotation depth over the last, you know, couple months, even just like emergency arms that they could end up sticking in there. If Emerson Hancock's not, you know, able to step in and help if somebody goes down, it's a steep drop off from there. So having kind of that swing man available is is important in Descofani. And I think several other guys will be on innings, you know, restrictions to a degree, some of those young arms. So I think that side of it's interesting. On the Robbie Ray side, dude, I really like it for him. And we know home runs have kind of been the issue, yeah. right? And I know Seattle is is a pitcher's park, but if you look at like home run factor, like in terms of ballpark factor, you know, where where home runs are a little bit more, uh, I think, attainable, it's still Seattle, right? Like you you go to San Francisco. I mean, that is one of the most difficult places in the entire sport to, to, to leave the yard. So I, I know that the home runs were a little bit of an issue for him still even in Seattle, but now you're putting him in a place that's even more difficult to go deep in and and, and that should help. But you look at what he did in 2022, man, like a, a three, seven, one ERA. I know we were like, Oh, come on. He's got to be better than that after the Cy Young, but a three, seven, one ERA in 189 innings. Yeah. I, that's still really solid. And they, you, you imagine, you know, you move him now to a place where instead of those 32 home runs, he gave up, maybe that number drops to 27, 26. Yeah. Y you probably imagine that ERA somewhere closer to the mid threes. And I, I, I know it sounds like the contract would have been bad to inherit off of that injury and everything, but We've talked about how much the market has changed, Jack. Like, what is it? What was the deal? Five years for 15 or 115? It was five for what 115. So, yeah. he, so what's he, left on the deal? He's got this year at 23 mil, and then he has an opt-out. He can opt out of two years with 50 remaining. So he he effectively has three for 73 remaining, but an opt-out after the first year. So he can opt into the final two years, 50, or he can hit the market again after this coming year. I have to assume he's going to opt in because he's going to miss half the year. He had TJ this past spring. Yeah. So he's back at the all-star break. You get him for three years, $73 million. You're going to get two and a half years worth of pitching out of him. So this is what I would say. Assuming he doesn't get hurt at the end of last year, let's say he hit the free agent market after 2022. So you'd have the, the, the Cy Young performance in 21, and then you'd have a step backwards in 2022, uh, let's say it was let's just pretend it was a one-year deal, right? Yeah. Uh, three seven one ERA as like the disappointing year, quote unquote. And over those two years, tossing almost what was it three hundred over three hundred innings, mm -hmm. almost four hundred innings between those two years. Like if he hit the open market, he would have got a lot more than than what he's owed over the next three years. Yes, the injury, but it's Tommy John that's running the mill at this point. So right. I, I still think. He, he's a pretty good deal at, at that number. And that's why I think it's kind of interesting is I felt like the, the Mariners didn't really need to take on the Hanager contract. I felt like, or I thought that the Mariners could have had more money kicked their way. Cause again, I don't think the Robbie Ray contract is really bad at all. Qualifying offer was like basically $20 million. We're going to talk about what Sean Manaya just got. Like I, I really don't think it's a bad deal at all for, I honestly think it's, it's it, with some of the deals we see going around here, it's, it's pretty good bargain. 
So Hanniger's got this year at 17 and then a player option at 15 and a half. You assume he opts in, although we have no idea what the contract is. I I don't know if it's a bargain because he's coming off Tommy John. Like th- that's the big wrench in all this. And Tommy John, while it is run of the mill, you don't just get back to the status quo afterwards. It is an uphill battle for these guys. I just think there's enough information and there are enough guys that have gone through it to provide a, a whole bunch of like advice and feedback during the rehab process. So it feels run of the mill on the outside, but like we have no idea if Robbie Ray is going to come back throwing 96. He could That's be fair. 93, 94. Um, it, like three for 73 for a guy coming off TJ feels a little steep. So I understand the Hanniger kick in and Hanniger does fill a role. For Seattle, we were talking about Jock Peterson being a fit. We were talking about a whole bunch of these, you know, lefty corner outfielders. They got a lefty corner outfielder and they got a guy that maybe they were thinking they should have never let walk. Well, well so Hanniger is going to be from the right side, but. Oh, sorry. Yeah. But the thing with Hanniger is. Can he stay healthy? Yeah. I I, I love Hanniger. I, I, like I loved the signing for San Francisco. And then, I mean. He just couldn't. He just couldn't stay on the field. I will say, I think, I think it's good to get him back home. You know where he was comfortable, where he had his best seasons, and and if you were going to have to kick in money, because I guess you know playing your you know your side of it here, which is obviously the the side that I think both teams saw it as is, hey, a player coming off a of TJ, you know, you're just not going to give him three years of that much money. So we need something to offset these you know this amount of money. Look, if 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 I'm going to get a flyer, you know, to offset money, I'd love for it to be a guy that is beloved, you know, where, where we play our games and that has had some really good moments and that could maybe get back to what he once was, you know, where he once was that. So that part of it's really interesting. They they also, you know, they they went out and got, and we'll talk about it, getting Luke Rayleigh. I feel like there's going to be a a pretty interesting, I think platoon through that DH spot there. Cause you know, Rayleigh can hit righties. Um, You Put Mitch Hanniger in. He's going to crush lefties. Uh, they'll probably have Hanniger play a little bit of outfield. I wonder how much. That's that's the big question for me is because, you know, you you still have Garver now in the DH spot. So are you going to have Hanniger and Rayleigh kind of play a predominantly, like play a lot of outfield? Like that's kind of that's kind of interesting, right? Because yeah. I, one, I don't want Hanniger to get hurt. And Luke Rayleigh's, you know, it's the bad over everything. So Garver kind of clogging the DH spot while you go out later and get Hanniger and Rayleigh is, is interesting to me. Yeah. That said, you move a player who's not going to be available for the first half that when you look at the rotation, you could argue that, you know, that I like most of their options better right now, other than Bryce Miller. Um, I'd argue that you you could say Gilbert's probably going to be better than Robbie Ray next year. Kirby's definitely going to be Castillo's definitely going to be. And I think Lou could be, but yeah, realistically, Robbie Ray slides in as that four. Instead, you now get a power hitting outfielder um, and you get another depth arm and you save what? How much money do they now save with the six million being kicked their way? Like, what's the do, do we have like a full accounting breakdown of of how much that they, they'd save in total here for not not only next year, but beyond that? Uh, so Ray is owed 23 this year. Dave Sclafani's owed 12. And Hanniger's owed 20. So that's 20 plus 12 is 32. Um, but then DeSclafani hits the open market after this year. Hanniger has that player option at 17 and a half versus San Francisco takes on two for 50 after that. Yeah. So in terms of total money, um, 32 plus 17 is 49.5 compared to 73 going to San Francisco. And what San Francisco also kicked in the six or did yep. Seattle kick in the San Francisco also kicked in the six. So yep. it's still like cheapening out for Seattle a good bit. And and I think it depends on the options and everything, but of course I think you kind of know which way both of those options are going to go. Yep. Um, yeah. Like here's my thing. Did, did Seattle really get better? No, I think they, they stayed the same and they got cheaper, which I guess some slightly. Yeah, like slightly cheaper. So I guess some could view as like better because you have the same talent level. You got two players. Um, you got a bat that's going to be under 26-man roster and you got an arm that's going to be under 26-man roster. And I think Jerry DePoto might have been looking at this rotation and it's like, okay, you know, where does Robbie Ray really fit in? And and you say that Wu could be better. 
I mean, you clearly are not, you know, giving enough credit to Bryce Miller's splitter, that one splitter that we saw. <laughs> but yeah, the one he threw on that we saw on X. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I, yeah, I, I think mean, they, they could be looking at Wu. They could be looking at Miller. Hell, they could be looking at Hancock too. And it's like, all right, that assortment of three young guys, I think is, is a better option for us than a $23 million Robbie Ray. I think at 23 million. Yes. At 23 million. I genuinely think Ray is going to be a three, five guy next year or like the next full season we see him and yeah. um, three, five, three, six guy like Miller. I think will always be in the low fours. Wu I think has more variance on the upside, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. I just, I just think, yeah, rotationally it makes sense. You're, you're, you're kind of fine there. You do add two bodies to the 26. I, I just think the upside, you know, is capped a little bit there now. Where, it is. You know, you're getting you're getting a, a platoon guy that really can't play much defense at this point and has back problems and gets hurt after you just signed a catcher who can no longer catch, which is fine. <laughs> I love the signing, but you just signed a catcher who can no longer catch to clog your DH spot. And then you go out and get another outfielder who doesn't offer that much defensively either, if I'm not mistaken, and and also is is somewhat limited. So like, I, I just I feel like they took some versatility and they took some um you know some flexibility that the lineup had, especially by trading Caballero. And I know that they're trying to add offense, but I just feel like they're they're clogging their lineup up a little bit now. And I know Rayleigh's not a total liability defensively, but he's again, he's not he's not great. He's fine. Um, you know, you can plug him in center in an emergency. He's fine in either corner. I like you could play a little first. I, I guess that makes him less of a clog. I do wonder if the plan is to start cutting into maybe Ty France at bats, or do they end up trading a Ty France and Luke Rayleigh ends up playing first, or are they going to mix and match even more now where, you know, Rayleigh and, and France are splitting at bats sometimes at first base. Uh, and then Rayleigh splitting at bats in the outfield sometimes. And, and Hanniger splitting with certain guys. I don't know. Like I, I'm really interested to see the, like what their plans are here, um, because that could make me feel a little bit better about it. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just they're putting a lot of faith, I think, in in, in Luke Rayleigh and Mitch Hanniger here, which is just not really something I'd want to do, especially when you look at what Luke Rayleigh did in the second half. Yeah, I hope Scott Service has his talent already. Uh, Hanniger was two defensive run saves, negative three outs above average in the outfield last year. I, like. Which one do you like? You like DRS for infielders, outs above average for outfielders? Yeah, I will say the fact that they even threw Rayleigh in center, I think, is indicative that he's like capable of playing. Yeah, solid so, defense. Right. So those were those were Hanniger's numbers. So you know we'll see how they do that. We're gonna get to that Rayleigh Caballero trade in a moment, but just yes or no question: Are the Giants stuck? I think this is. I think this was a move that made them unstuck to a degree, or less stuck. They took on money. I they're just striking out on all these big ticket free agents when they have all this money to spend. So sure, if they I, had I like, a Correa or if they had a Machado or if they had an Otani, I would feel like they were unstuck. But right now, I'm looking at this lineup and this rotation and hell, like this farm system, and I'm like, they might be stuck. Here's my thing. I I think this is the first move to 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 wiggling out of being stuck because you now unload a you know, a, a, an outfield contract that, you know, just was not good for you, um, obviously. And and now put that money, you know, basically towards the rotation, which if you go and look at what you would have had to go out and spend in free agency to get a player with Robbie Ray's upside and and really capable of, of doing what we were talking about, right? A hundred and I, I know he'll be on some sort of a limit off of TJ, but let's say mm-hmm. 160, 170 innings, um, you know, at a three, five, that's always going to play. And in this market, that's really hard to find and super expensive. I think now they go get that. They pretty much have their their number two once he's healthy, which is is pretty important. We were talking about it. Like after Logan Webb, like who do you plug in there? Anyone else was going to cost you a hundred plus million. So now either you spend that money on another arm and make that rotation really solid, or you can put that money towards, you know, strengthening the lineup a little bit. We talked about it though. When we did the GM episode, we thought the lineup was, was fine enough for now. So, I mean, looking at it from that lens, I think you can go get another pitcher now and and spend a little bit extra and, and, and swing for the fences. Maybe go get another lefty. Like why not Imanaga? Um, and, and we talked about that, like Imanaga, his biggest bugaboo is home runs as well. Put yeah. him in the place where they're hard to hit. 
Now you got two guys with their biggest bugaboo being home runs. You put them in a place where it's it's almost impossible compared to other ballparks. And maybe you get more out of those guys. But those are clearly your one, two, and three instead of Logan Webb, Ross Stripling, Kyle Harrison. It's Logan Webb, eventually Robbie Ray, and then Shota Imanaga and or, you know, Blake Snell and or whoever else you can try to, to corral. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I can see the vision there. Um, Tampa and Seattle made a deal. It was Jose Caballero going from Seattle to Tampa for Luke Rayleigh. And you mentioned that Rayleigh tapered off in the second half, but Rayleigh was really strong in the front half, especially against right-handed pitching. And that's a, a lefty masher. What the Rays needed, especially with the Wander Franco news, which we talked about last week, is a shortstop plan. Yep. And are you going to run Taylor Walls out there every day? You don't want to. Mm-hmm. Caballero does that. Caballero is a good defender at shortstop. He is a well above average defender at shortstop. Caballero swipes a bunch of bags. The OPS is not good. Doesn't really matter. He does everything else to make himself valuable. And I think Tampa probably just saw Rayleigh as surplus and figured, all right, let's move him to Seattle. And Seattle gets their, you know, platoon bat probably. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, I think with Seattle, it's interesting because I think they just wanted more, more offensive upside when yeah. you're looking at Caballero mixed in with Luis Arias and Josh Rojas. I think it's all like, just the same. Yeah. Yeah. We need to throw in a guy here who can maybe hit us 25 bombs. Right? Well, like, and like you throw Haggerty and Dylan Moore into that too. It's just a hodgepodge of the same thing. And Ryan Bliss, you know, yeah. and like, it's just like, okay, all right. Like we don't need another one of these types of guys. I will say Caballero is probably the most useful of that group if you don't have a shortstop, but the Mariners have a great shortstop, right? So yeah. I, I think that's why the Mariners said, okay, let's cash in on a, probably the more valuable of all of these guys and turn him into a guy that, you know, can give us 850 OPS, hopefully against against righties and, and have that be something that, you know, they can platoon their way to success. With the Rays, I don't know if that move was going to be in the works already, but it was interesting that like shortly after we talked a little bit about Wander and then more details came out that, make it even further reprehensible if 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 it's true and and to the point yeah. to where it's like the rays are probably looking at it and saying all right this ain't getting solved anytime soon and it's just looking uglier and uglier by the moment right it seemed like shortly after those details came out on espn um that that trade went down right it was like a couple of days later so yeah. i don't know i don't know if that was them kind of realizing like okay let's just go let's go get somebody now that we can plug in at shortstop because it's definitely not happening this year with him he might never play again Regardless, just looking at the at the roster situation in a vacuum, I'll put your prospect hat on, Jack, because Rayleigh had a 95 WRC plus in the second half. Yeah. I think that the Rays probably still believe that that he can be somewhere between the 150 he was in the first half and the 95 he was in the second half, especially if you shelter him from lefties. Yeah. But the Rays, you talked about a surplus. I think that was the, the, the really key word there, right? Like they have a surplus of Luke Rayleigh types. Yes. And and be honest, because we do tend as prospect guys to to sometimes, you know, over overvalue like what a prospect can do in their rookie season. But would you take any of these guys to have a higher WRC plus than Luke Rayleigh in 2023 or 2024 if they're given consistent at bats? We'll go Jonathan Aranda, Curtis Mead, Austin Shenton. And yeah, just those three. And you know who you know who I'll throw in there because they went out and traded for him right after Richie Palacios. Yeah. Okay. Would so take, would you take basically would you take Luke Rayleigh or the field? I would take the field. Um, and I'll tell you the two that I'm taking: Aranda and Mead. Shenton, I think, can provide value. I don't know if it's 110, 115 WRC plus value, which is it's a great insurance policy. Insurance policy, though. Exactly. Aranda is overdue for 130 games in a major league season. Aranda hammered like annihilated triple a pitching last year guess what he did the year before that he annihilated triple a pitching like there's no need he is the better version of michael bush like he's the guy that it's like for the love of god get this guy in the lineup every day and aranda is a lefty bat that plays very similar positions to that of luke rayleigh so um aranda i feel really good about Mead, righty bat so i guess like kind of different conversation but Mead is deserving of every day at bats at the major league level Palacios is not a 115 WRC plus guy, but 
he's a spark plug and he can swipe bags and he can take a bunch of pitches. He is a high OBP guy. There's a reason that the Cardinals claimed it. And he was solid for the Cardinals down the stretch. Yeah. The, the Palacios brothers, Richie and Josh, like they both provide value in a bunch of different areas. And it may not result in the 115 WRC plus, but I thought that was a great pickup for them because they needed that dynamic. They needed mm-hmm. somebody that is Siri, but not like, like Siri yeah. is the freak athlete in that lineup. Go get another good athlete, but you mm-hmm. don't need another Brandon Lau. Like Rayleigh was just Lau surplus. And I think Aranda is Rayleigh. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. And you're just seeing teams just try to mix and match here. Right. And, um, and I think the most important thing, and you brought this up in, uh, you know, in, in the staff chat was you know, Caballero, he's going to be a better offensive piece than Taylor Walls. But I don't think people realize the guy can pick it as short. Like, yes, he's a utility guy. He's played all over, but he's an above average defender at shortstop. So now you've got your guy that can play above average defense at shortstop. Now you don't have to worry about sliding Caminero to short if Basabe struggles or if, you know, if Walls just is not able to hit his weight. Now you've got a guy that, should hover around a 700 OPS has the potential for a little bit more and play good defense. What they needed to avoid was just having a guy that's a gaping hole offensively, right? If Taylor Walls is playing shortstop every day, there's a legit chance. He's a 580 to 620 OPS guy. Yes. And if he's not playing some of the best defense in the sport, which that seemed to taper off a little bit too, um, you're not getting value there. So like the rest of the lineup can hit, it can really hit. And, and you look at it like this, like I, I almost like to look at it in groupings of, what production are you going to get up the middle? You might not get as much power now from shortstop, but at second base, Brandon Lau could be one of the best power hitting second baseman in the sport. So up the middle, if you're getting good defense and Lau's compensating, you know, on the power side, just carry your weight. If you're Caballero, um, you know, and then you look at the, their other positions, like they're going to rake everywhere else. There's pretty much every other spot. They can all swing it. So I, I, I like, I like this move a lot for them. I think it gives them insurance. It helps them in the meantime. And it's easy to see how they could see Luke Rayleigh as, as a surplus to a degree and, and feel pretty good about all the other options they have, especially when Harold Ramirez is right there. And I honestly think I, and that was, that's the last name I should have thrown in there. Who do you have more confidence in having a higher WRC plus next year, Harold Ramirez or Luke Rayleigh? They're the same. I would probably pick Harold Ramirez. I would too, because he's done it longer. Yeah. Like, Ramirez is Rayleigh, who is Aranda. They're all the same guy in my brain. And so they give me had the all guy three. that's been doing it for more than more than one year. Yes, exactly. And give me the younger guy that's been hammering AAA pitching now. Like Rayleigh was a one year breakout at 20 with seven years old as a rookie, 28 years old as a rookie. He's, he's same age as he's slightly older than Harold Ramirez, believe it or not. He's 20. He's almost 30. There you go, man. All right. We're going to talk about Manaya in a moment real quick, and then we're going to play some GM. But before that, quick break. Real quick, Sean Manaya signs a two-year, $28 million deal with the New York Mets. That's a lot of money. The weirder thing to me was he got a player option. It's a one plus one, 14, and then 14 on a player option on the back end. Sean Manaya is about to turn 32 years old in literally two weeks. And he got a contract for his age 33 and 34 season, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was crazy. To me, for for a guy that, and I understand pitching market, all that, but for a guy that, I like last year had a four and a half ERA and 117 innings. Before that, had a five ERA and 158 innings. Like it, he was good in 21. After that, he was disappointing with San Diego, and then he was just kind of an afterthought as a swing man. He had 27 appearances out of the bullpen last year for San Francisco. What are the Mets paying for here? I I think a popular commodity in the middle of the market, if that makes sense, right? Like we're seeing these numbers elsewhere and that's going to drive everything else up because now everybody's saying, Oh shit, I ain't paying 180 million for, for whoever, or 200 million for whoever I'm going to go pivot to somebody that, you know, could still be a, a four starter for me, maybe even a little bit better if it all clicks and is going to cost me far less. A lot of teams had that thought process, and I think a lot of teams started bidding against each other on Sean Manaya. I also think that and I'm trying to find if I'm able to to see like what the the velocity is by like by role because I think something that was was encouraging and and I think had a lot of teams interested in Manaya was the fact that his fastball velocity was back up two ticks last year, 
That said, he did also come out of the bullpen, as you mentioned. So how much of that is is the uptick is, is kind of my question, which I'm going to try to, to, to solve real quick. But I mean, in this market, is it really that crazy considering that he, he's probably going to give you at the very least a, a mid fours, I think this year or, or something around there? I just kind of viewed him as like, a six starter. You're paying a six starter, and I, I thought the price of a six starter was Luis Severino, um, and Manaya and Sevi are on the same team. Who would you rather pay if you had your pick, point blank, for one year, Manaya or Luis Severino? Manaya, really? Because Manaya didn't get obliterated last year the way that Luis Severino. And, and again, Manaya is heading in the right direction in terms of the stuff being a little bit better. So I do think that that helps. Yeah. I mean, I just like Severino was still sitting 96 last year. And maybe this and is me placing too much stock. more concerning, right? Like, right. you know, I know it's almost like you can look at it like through two different lenses and both are valid. But like, I don't there's just something about Severino going out there, just throwing 96 and just getting bombed. Yeah. That just like, I don't know. It, there's just something about that just, just didn't. Yeah, yeah, I I don't know. I just thought the price of Manaya and the price of Severino and Montes was going to be the same. And Severino got one for thirteen. Montes got one for what sixteen with Cincinnati. And here Manaya is getting two for twenty eight. Effectively, I was like, wow. I thought this guy was a one year deal candidate. So I guess I was well, just surprised that he got multiple years. Yeah, I guess because a little bit less. You know, I think uh, like a little bit more, I would say, track record over the last three seasons, right? Both those guys that you mentioned, Severino missing an absurd amount of time. And then uh, Montes, obviously fresh off of a shoulder issue where we, we haven't even really seen him throw at all. Whereas Montes, you got 180 innings in 21. Or excuse me, sorry. Manaya, you got 180 innings in 21. You got 158 innings in 22. And you got 117 innings. And the only reason why he didn't throw more is that he was that swingman type of role uh, in 2023. So at least you have a, and, and a left-hander here. So you have a lefty who's going to eat some innings, who you know has, has I think shown some some better things. He also had a pretty nice finish to the year, which I think does help his case a lot. Um, if you kind of look like how he trended at the end of the season, I think that side of things really kicked him over the edge. Um, and, and you look at some of these final starts where he actually was throwing pretty hard, man, and, and it wasn't just. The fact that he was coming out of the bullpen. I know it's a small sample size here, but they threw him back in the rotation for his final four starts. And in those final four starts, he averaged 93 with the fastball. Uh, His final two starts, he averaged 94 with the fastball. And final start of the year against the Padres, six innings, seven hits, two runs, no walks, eight Ks. Before that against the Dodgers, seven innings, three hits, no runs, no walks, two Ks. Uh, at Colorado, five and a third, eight hits, three runs, no walks, three Ks. And then against the Guardians, a solid start as well. So you have a final four starts of the season where he throws to a 2-2-5 ERA. But more importantly, he throws 100 pitches. Fastball averages 93-94. Maybe maybe he found something down the stretch there. Yeah. Um, and that, that part's interesting to me. He had a four-inning like, like spurt against the Red Sox, 52 pitches, Four and two thirds of of two hit shutout ball, average ninety six on the heater in that outing. So, Damn. and and he gets great extension. So I, I think the Mets might be looking and saying, "Hey, this is a positive trend here, and maybe we can get a little bit more out of him, and he could be a a, a three starter for us potentially." Yeah, and he's a Boris client, so you know maybe anything maybe that... to yeah anything to cozy up with the with Boris. Um, right, I'm sure, right. I'm sure, they're so... happy to do. I, I bet it was combination of him being a Boris client and him selling the Mets on him finding something at the end of the year that resulted in that. And I'm uh, sure Boris did a good job of selling that. I'm sure I, that guy knows how to position his clients better than anybody in baseball history, better than anybody in sports history. Uh, we've already kept you a long time with headlines, so we are going to save the Astros for the next episode. We're going to do one GM episode and it's going to be the Milwaukee Brewers. Um the Brewers in 2023 had a payroll of $125 million. Their estimated payroll in 2024 is $93.5 million. And they got here by non-tendering a couple guys, Brandon Woodruff and Rowdy Telez. But this offseason, 
They've already signed Jackson Chorio to an eight-year, $82 million extension with a pair of club options on the back end. They can push it to about, I want to say, 120 um, mm-hmm. across 10 years. They signed Wade Miley to a one-year plus a mutual option. They signed Joe Ross to a one-year deal, Eric Haas to a one-year deal. Um, they acquired Coleman Crow for Adrian Hauser and Tyrone Taylor. Got Jake Bowers from New York for Brian Sanchez and Jay Savina. They got Taylor Clark, a reliever from Kansas City for Ryan Brady and Cam Devaney. They got Oliver Dunn from Philly for Robert Moore and Henry Mendez. They traded Abraham Toro to Oakland for Chad Patrick. So it's been busy in terms of low publicity, low sex appeal signings, except for non-tendering Woodruff and the Jackson Chorio extension. Looking back on both those after we have time to kind of like settle in and, and think about it, um, Woodruff, what, going to miss the entirety of this year? Yeah, like mm-hmm. it was, you had to, um, especially because he's going to hit the open market. The Chorio extension, like this makes perfect sense, right? Top 100 update. He is top blank in baseball. Four. Really? Yeah, top four. Top four. Okay, you're not giving away too much. Maybe top three. Okay, got you. All right, stay tuned for the top 100 update. Um, yeah. But you think he's the opening day center fielder? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I think the second that the the ink dried, they pulled him off the field in the uh, Venezuelan, the Venezuelan league. league. Yeah, so I... I think the plan is, hey, like we're paying him, like he better be playing center field. I, I I assume he's playing center. Okay, so catcher William Contreras with Eric Hosses as backup. Jefferson Caro is going to start the year in AAA. Do you think Caro can be the backup by September? Absolutely, um, if they want him to be, uh, I think he absolutely can be. But Haas is like fine in the meantime. Uh, but Caro, yeah, with his defensive ability, no doubt. And and by the way. If, for Brewers fans, we just broke down the, the Brewers farm system on the call up. So uh, mm-hmm. go check out the call up podcast to to hear us, our breakdown on, you know, a lot of these, these Brewers prospects, but yeah, no, I, I think Caro could be ready by next year. Yeah. Uh, first base, we got to do something. And again, the sake of this exercise is to make the team better. It's not to trade Corbin Burns and trade Devin Williams, even though last episode literally sent Devin Williams to the Dodgers. It's to retain and make them better in 2024. Jake Bowers and Owen Miller are the first base options this year in Milwaukee. Just sign Reese Hoskins. Is it as simple as that? I mean, yes, but they're not going to do that. They're not going to so, do it. You know, we, we also have to be like, we have to be realistic with what we think they they would or could do. I, it's funny. I was going to ask you, like, you look at this team. This team could compete. <laughs> like, they're only a couple pieces away from being able to compete in that division, especially yes. especially with the Cubs being dormant and, and some of the other teams that are just not really doing much. They still think the Cardinals, they're great on paper, but they, they their rotation still has, has a ways to go. I, I, I would like to think that they're going to aim a little bit higher at first base. Uh, we can look at some free agents there and see what they do, but uh, it's got to be better than Bowers. We'll, we'll definitely upgrade out there. I would think so. Um, Bryce Terang at second base, Willie Adamas at shortstop with Terang kind of serving as his backup. Like you're going to roll with that. If you don't trade Adamas, we're not trading Adamas for the sake of the exercise. Um, Andrew Monasterio at third base, Owen Miller is his backup. And then you got Tyler Black waiting in the wings too. Do you think Black gets ample big league run this year? Or do you think they look at Monasterio and others? I think Tyler Black could end up getting not only ample big league run, he, he might be their first base option. He might be the, at first base. Okay. Yeah. I think about it. I mean, like, look, I I don't think he's a great defender really anywhere. So it, it's not like it, you're wasting his athleticism at first base. Right. Uh, that's the most dynamic first baseman in the sport, maybe. Like, you're going to have a first baseman that could steal 40 bags. <laughs> that's pretty nuts. I think yeah. at the big league level, he probably steals 30. But Black could be a guy that ends up slotting in at first. And I think he's just about big league ready. So he suffered a brutal injury in the outfield when they gave him a go in center, right? That was in 2020. Yeah, he fractured his scapula. Dude, so bad. Um, yeah. But he came back this year. He split the year between double A AA and triple A. In double-A, 69 starts at third base, seven starts at first base. So, you know, cup of coffee at first base. In triple-A, that number got bigger. 28 starts at third base, nine starts at first base. Are you still looking at first base options, like on the free agent market, maybe even trade market? Or are you just saying like, hey, Tyler Black, you know, 
he was good in AAA too. He's worthy of like a chance in spring training. I'd rather put that money towards a pitcher on a one year because even if even if you aren't good, right, and you start to tear it down, uh huh. The one year is kind of playing both sides, right? Because it gives you a chance to be good this year, and then if it doesn't work out, you know, you you, you go and flip them later. So I'd rather put that money towards a pitcher on a one year. So yeah, I would go with Black at first base. I think you just just outright have him there. And Bowers defined insurance policy, but I think Black is capable of being very very good for them uh, at first base. And again, the, the speed of this team, well, the, like that's the thing. If you're not going to absolutely rake, which yeah. I think they'll hit fine, speed and scrappy and put the ball in play and walk, like this would be a very frustrating team to face with with Black in the lineup too as a pitcher. So can we can we upgrade third base? Because the outfield, like, I don't want to touch, frankly. It's going to be Chorio, Christian Yelich, and Sal Freelich. You have either Garrett, Richel, Garrett Mitchell or Joey Weimer as the fourth outfield option. So let's trade a fifth outfielder. Let's trade one of those guys for a third baseman. I know when we did the Pirates, I floated Nick Gonzalez for Garrett Mitchell. Gonzalez could play second. We were expecting Milwaukee to trade Adamas at that point. That would push Terang to short and Gonzalez would play second. But now let's look at third base options for either Garrett Mitchell or Joey Weaver. Does anybody jump to your mind or is there a guy like on the free agent market that you say, hey, you know, Giovanni or Shelley, you're a Milwaukee brewer. That's kind of the name I was going to look at. Here's my thing. So question here is, which outfielder are you moving? Garrett Mitchell, super talented, borderline like 80 runner. Yeah. Gets the ball hard, puts it on the ground way too much, but like that's just kind of his game. Um, Weimer, great defensive center fielder, hits the living crap out of the ball, but hit a wall offensively at the end of the year. You probably know what my answer is going to be, but w- what is your answer? I think your answer is Weimer. Mm-hmm. And I think my answer, in terms of staying, your answer is Weimer. Like who I'd keep, yes. Yes, I think my answer is Weimer as well. Because Mitchell is a lefty. You've got Yelich as a lefty. You've got Freelich as a lefty. Exactly. So I'm thinking just two left-handed bats, two right-handed bats. Yep. And Weimer is like crazy. Like Weimer could hit 30 bombs. That's the thing is, is Mitchell, I think Mitchell's really good. Like I think he'd be a, a fine player, but you're limited kind of platoon wise. He puts the ball on the ground way too much, I think, to to really dream on on too much power. Yes, he's fast. Yes, he brings some things to the table. But I do think like, there's a world where, like you said, Weimer's hitting 30 bombs, um, yeah. and and playing all three outfield spots with a, just a rocket for an arm. So I, I'd rather see it through with Weimer, and I think he he adds something that this team's kind of missing in terms of you still have athleticism there, but you know just 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 pure power. Um, so yeah, I, I say you move Mitchell. If you move Mitchell, who, yeah, the trade market's tough for third base, right? Like who, who is out there that you can reasonably go get at the hot corner so, in, in a trade like that? Cause Mitchell is coming off an injury. He did look fine at the end of the year. I actually got to catch him in Nashville. He yeah. was motoring. Um, that's for sure. But yeah, I mean like how many, how many third basemen are, are, are really out there? Yeah, so right now I see four third base options in Detroit. I see Colt Keith, I see Matt Verling, I see Nick Maton, and I see Justin Henry Malloy. Would you not entertain the idea of chatting with Scott Harris in Detroit? So Justin Henry Malloy, probably an outfielder now, right? Um, but he played a good bit of third base. So I'll give you like the positional splits, like in terms of starts last year in Toledo. Okay. Justin Henry Malloy. Because, like, yes, but do, do, his, do, the, do the Tigers need another left-handed hitting outfielder? They could use one. Right now, they're outfield. I, Carpenter is the DH. Like, I think you just slot him in. Canna's a right-handed hitter. Parker Meadows, lefty. Riley Green, lefty. But, like, in terms of outfield depth, their projected bench right now is Andy Abanez, Nick Maton, Tyler Nevin. And their farm system as it stands right now in the outfield is like Akil Badu, Justice Bigby, who is right-handed, Bly Madris, Ryan Valade. Like, I, I think Mitchell leapfrogs pretty much everybody not named Green or, I mean, shit, dude, he might just leapfrog Parker Meadows too. Yeah. 
Would you rather about- have Garrett Mitchell or Parker Meadows in 2024? Oof. I think Mitchell. I think Garrett Mitchell. Mitchell. Yeah. Um, okay. Two other teams that are kind of of interest. Um, Pittsburgh with Triolo. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, I just had one off the top of my head. So Pittsburgh with Triolo. Cleveland could be could be an interesting one with Arias and, and some other options. Yeah. But I, I, I I don't, I don't see that necessarily materializing. Geez. And um, Toronto, what about Toronto? Because they have kind of this, this glut to a degree too. Yeah. um, Where they got to kind of figure some things out. They just signed IKF, right? So now you have Espinal who plays a great third base. Who's kind of the odd man out. Maybe you make a move for Santiago Espinal. Like you're, you're you paid IKF. So yeah. could Espinal make sense? I don't hate the idea. I think Espinal could make a lot of sense. You think because Barger was playing a decent bit of third base too. They're not moving Aurelvis Martinez. They're not moving Aurelvis and he plays plenty of third. Do you think they would move Barger for Mitchell? But do they want a, a left handed hitting Barger in return? I don't think you'd mind if he plays third base. Um, the other one, Kevin like, Biggio is not not a terrible option, but he just doesn't have much control. So it's just kind of like a why. And, and I'm not moving Mitchell for him. So, so the other one that kind of jumps out to me is is Jose Miranda in Minnesota. Ooh, ooh that is a fun one because he's phased out entirely in Minnesota. Entirely, and you figure that so the Twins want to get cheaper. You trade Kepler, you plug in Garrett Mitchell, you got more athletic too. Um, I don't, I don't hate that at all, but th- I'd want more on top of Miranda given where he's at. Okay. But so, so the Miranda. Brewers are fine with that. They're, they'll take their prospects, you know, like I, I, yeah, I think, I mean, cause that would allow, I mean, right now, dude, like I know it's another lefty, but I don't trust Matt Walner like that. I know that he had a nice 250 plate appearances, but like, he whiffs a lot. Yeah. Um, and and if you're going to move Kepler anyways, he's an insurance policy to, to Walner. He can, you know, also plug in where Kepler plays and he can also plug into center field. Whereas Kepler's kind of stretched thin in center. Walner can't play center and Buxton, you're trying to shelter from center. So I actually like that a lot. Uh, Willie Castro right now would be the guy and Nick Gordon that would have to plug in out there. So I, I, I think that might be the move. Do you and buy low? Yeah, do you add Simeon Woods Richardson, like buy low on him? He couldn't have been worse in AAA last year. Yeah, so that was what my, my question was going to be. Do you buy low on him or do you try to get them to throw in like a Willie Castro? So just in case, you know, you need an insurance policy in the outfield or something. But I think they like Castro. Yeah. I Would they throw in Nick Gordon? Probably not. I think they really like Nick Gordon. Not after last year. Maybe they would. Maybe they would. Okay, would you want? But you'd have to find the spot on the floor. Like, is there is Nick Gordon better on your bench than somebody else? Probably not, at this point. Right. So I think it would be Miranda and a prospect. Okay, I'm looking at their starting pitching prospects right now. Like, part of me is just thinking Minnesota's just trying to cut bait on Simeon Woods Richardson, and he's only 23 years old. Could do that. Could do the old Austin Martin. You could, if you want. You and your Severino, you could do that too. You and your hits bombs. You just hit thirty-seven pumps last year. <laughs> it's nukes. Um, yeah, one. I think, I think, I think that's kind of a fun. That's a fun swap. I. It's crazy what happened to Miranda last year because I thought what he did in Triple A was one of the most impressive seasons I've seen in some time. Yeah. And then just, just injury banged up. Yeah, I think it's a perfect kind of bounce back opportunity here. So we'll go Miranda and then. Yeah, do you want to go with a prospect? Probably, right? So we'll yeah. go. I think SWR could be a good flyer to take. Cool. I like that. Miranda and Simeon Woods Richardson for Garrett Mitchell. That's a great deal. Send it in. Uh, Send it in. Starting pitching, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, Wade Miley, Colin Ray, Joe Ross, Aaron Ashby, if he's healthy or is he just in the pen, Jansen Junk, Robert Gasser is waiting, Bryce yes. Wilson is back up. Mizorowski could be there at the end of the year, like if you don't want to waste bullets. 
Yeah, if you don't want to waste bullets, absolutely. Um, but he's going to have to not hit three batters per start. Um, yes, I did. I did. I crunched the numbers. We joked about it on the call up, by the way. His right. hit by pitch rate was five point seven percent. Oh, which was higher than I think the walk rate of like thirty one qualified minor league pitchers. Oh my god! Hit by pitch rate five point seven percent. I'd be up there legitimately peeing in terrified. my pants. Oh, terrified. So um, yeah. No, that was. The- that was one where after uh, after Griff faced him, that was one where I was like, I couldn't wait to text him. She said, what the, what the fuck did that look like? Yeah. And he just said, like, nothing I've ever seen before. <laughs> That's Scared all I wanted to hear. Dude, it was that. And then I think Aribe in relief. Abner Aribe in relief. It's like, yeah, double A's, double A's supposed to be easy, right? Guys I'm, are supposed to be able oh, to hit out there. Bro, I'm you crawling into Mizorowski and Abner Aribe. I'm crawling into the fetal position in the shower after that. If I have to see Mizorowski and Aribe in the same game. Oh, I'm sick for the day. I'm I'm hurt. Something's flaring up. <laughs> um, oh, so bad. So we, we go first and foremost, Gasser's in this rotation. Yes. Like look, uh, enough. He threw a whole year in AAA last year. He was great. He was Gasser great. Will be, Gasser will be a great four. And we talked about that on the call-up. So pencil Gasser in behind Miley as the four. Okay. Go Do you go get five. another arm? Or are you cool with a Ray slash Ross number five spot? Um. I'd like to sign a guy to a one-year deal. I would too. I don't know who. I mean, you gotta you gotta aim low with these with these brewers, man. Like really low. Um, I'm scanning, 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 scrolling. <laughs> I am scrolling as well. Uh, Johnny Cueto. <laughs> I dude, I my my eyes blocked right on Johnny Cueto. <laughs> There's no one's no one's giving that dude. Someone <laughs> can't. We can't aim that low. We're we gonna can't. do it. We're gonna do it. Come on, just for the bit. Um, Clevenger. <laughs> Is someone gonna sign Johnny Cueto? The Brewers are. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great fit. All right, Johnny Cueto. No, 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 no. That guy would love like the beer and the cheese and all this. Oh, I'm sh- oh, he thing. would. He would love. <laughs> he would love. Uh, I don't see Johnny Cueto fitting into Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, Kluber. Kluber's not a bad one. I think his arm is destroyed, though. Unfortunately. Um. Zach Davies. Hyunjin Ryu. Ryu. I like Ryu, man. What's what's the going rate on a Ryu though? One year for eight. Is that is he see that cheap now? Well, I don't. Nobody's that cheap now. One year for fourteen. What did Zach Plesac get? Uh, a ham sandwich and a spring training invite. It, did it was it a minor league deal? I don't know. Why didn't uh, we talk about Zach Plesac to the LA Angels? It was one year, one million dollars. One year, one mil. I mean Ryu. Overpay. Ryu, yeah, <laughs> Ryu's eight x. So they bring Zach Davies back home. I like Ryu the best. Julio Tehran. Now they just had him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's 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 shoot for Ryu. But that gives them three lefties. Do we care? No. Don't right? care. Don't care. Don't Burns, care. Burns, Peralta, Miley, Gasser, Ryu with Ray and Ross as backup options, and Ashby yep. as a swingman. I like and it. Wilson as a swingman. And, Bullpen. And- yeah. Oh, we'll wrap it up at the end. I just wanted to also make the case as to why, like, we are not trading Burns and Adamas and at the end, and then we can wrap it up from there. Okay, uh, bullpen. I've got no notes. I don't need to add anything. Trevor McGill sneaky throws like a hundred. Yeah, they don't need to do anything. Nothing. McGill is great. Yeah, the whole bull. I think this is arguably the most underrated bullpen in baseball beyond Devin Williams. It's really good. Okay, man. Hobie Milner, Abner Aribe. These are all sub two guys. Piams was was mid twos, like nasty. And you just heard my pitch on Ethan Small, the reliever, too. Like, 6'6", lefty, fucking weird slot. If he throws in the mid-90s, he's going to get outs in the sixth inning. Yeah, and I think Junk could be a decent reliever with with the slider he's got. There you go. Okay, make your pitch, and then we'll say bye. Okay. What are you realistically going to get for Willie Adamas at this point? Probably a top 100 guy in what? You know, a, a couple other top 30 guys, maybe? Would you say that's probably something along the lines of what Willie Adamas brings you in with one year of control? I'd say probably your your number ten and number twenty prospect around there. 
Yeah, I'm good then because you're going to give him a QO if you don't resign him after this year, if you're the Brewers, and you're going to get a, based on what he's presumably getting paid, you're going to get a nice, you're going to get a nice draft pick. You're going to get a top, top 40 draft pick there. Yeah, it's probably better than, it's not better. It's probably equivalent to one of the prospects you're going to get in return without the throw in and you get to pick that player. The big one is Corbin Burns. In this market, you can get an absolute haul of all hauls, but I'd almost, with, with the way that this team already looks, they're already pretty good. They're not far off. You, you trade Burns and Adamas, you're fully mailing it in. No yes. one's showing up to the ballpark this year. You already have RSN issues. Go into the season, see how it starts. Burns had a 3-4 last year. So, like, if he, I know that you're giving up some control, even though it's only a one-year deal. If he comes out, though, and he's throwing like a like a 2-8 guy, like we've seen him in the past, or even better than that, he's going to be worth more. At the deadline, even if it's if it's a shorter amount of time, or at least it's going to be roughly the same amount, I would rather see what you can do, see if you can compete. Maybe there's a chance you keep Burns. I don't know if the, the Brewers ever want to pay that, but I, I don't know. I, I just feel like you might as well ride it out here. Team is pretty good. You can potentially compete, and you're gonna get you're gonna get draft picks for both those guys. QO QO at the very least. Yeah. But I think if you'll know by the deadline where you're at. And you'll still get something decent for those guys. Might as well see it through and and ride it out with, with this young group that you have. And the fact that you already have so many outfield prospects that you can convert into other pieces that can help you now. Like, I, I just think you might as well ride it out at this point for one more year and, and see, or at least for half a year and see where it goes. The return's not going to be that much different. I like the pitch. I do. I, I fully like the pitch. Do I think they tear it down? At the deadline, I think they tear it down. At the deadline. If they're losing, which is great. I think that's how they should do it. Yeah. I think and with, this Ad- is... with Adamus at the deadline, just keep him at that point. Just just do the QO thing. And just, right. Just... Yeah. And get a pick. I'm I'm cool with that too. Um, yeah. Part of me is thinking this is the subdued version. And I know, you know, next episode, you guys are going to do the Astros. Uh, I'll leave you with this. I think the Astros may be undercover doing the Cubs thing where they're trying to thread the needle. And if it doesn't go well, they may start shipping guys off. I mm-hmm. think Milwaukee, they're going to do this. They're going to try and thread the needle in a bad division. If it doesn't go well, they're going to ship guys off. Yeah. I thought St. Louis was going to do it last year. They didn't. Um, but if Milwaukee is five games under 500 at the deadline, I think you see Burns go. I think you see Devin Williams go. And you get a big return for Devin Williams, much like you did for Hayter with a year and a half remaining. Exactly. And I think that's the best way to play it. Because, okay, sure, maybe you gave up 10% or 20% in terms of prospect value. I'd say probably closer to 20% if you yeah. wait a little bit longer. But Williams is still going to bring you in a mega haul with another year of control. Mega. And and it, some of these guys, again, might might kind of build their value up a little bit more. Though, And the last, last thing I'll say is you look at this lineup top to bottom. I think the Brewers have to watch this through because or see this through because Yelich, we saw him regain some of his form. Contreras has turned into one of the best catchers in baseball. I'm excited to see what his second year South Freelo looks like. Adamas should be better than he was last year. Yes. He wasn't great for his standards. Chorio has the potential to be an all-star immediately. Well, great. You just plugged an all-star right into your lineup. There's a guy that reasonably could go 30-30 if it all clicks. I don't think yes. he will. I think he'll go 20-20. Great. You just added that to your lineup. Mitchell was out the whole year. Now he's available. Joey Weimer building off of what was a you know downturn at the end of the year. Turing can't be any worse. And then again, Gasser is going to be in the rotation. So you're adding him. Um, you know, I just, I feel like, and then you have the best bullpen, you know, I think arguably in the division, one of the best bullpens in the national league, this team could surprise people. And, you know, with, with a couple moves here and there, like we made, they can hang around. So I, I think that's all they needed to do. And especially now you're adding Tyler black to the fold there too, at first base, yep. that, that could be another dynamic player that really ups your bottom line. And uh, this could be one of the scrappiest teams in baseball. And I, I think they should see it through. Cool beans. All right. Every link you need is in the episode description. We just walked you through the Brewers and a whole bunch of free agent signings. Peter and Aram will be back to talk baseball with you on Wednesday. Thank you, guys. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.